everybody, I'm Brian Clapp, VP of Content and Engaged Learning at WorkInSports.com, and this is the Work in Sports Podcast. I have a new theory I'm testing out, and I want you all to play along with this for a second. Let's call it a lukewarm take in progress. Over the last 10 years, as I've spoken at colleges and universities across the country, a vast majority of the young people I talk to equate working in the sports industry with becoming an agent. Not all. But a lot of people come at it and say, oh, yeah, I want to be an agent someday. Now, that's not the hot take part of this or even lukewarm take part of this. But it does make total sense. If you break down the superficial, generally unrealistic benefits of being an agent, they're pretty vast. Rub elbows with famous athletes, be part of their entourage, go to cool events, get good tickets to games, possibly have a movie made about you, drive a fancy car. I mean, this sounds pretty cool, right? But that is the romanticized version of being a sports agent. Most don't find this glory. But that is hard to process when you are young and feeling invincible. Again, I don't say that dismissively. I totally thought I was invincible in my 20s. And that positivity possibly leaked into my 30s. Yeah, definitely leaked into my 30s. I've always thought I was kind of invincible, to be honest with you. Anyway, when I was young, I didn't see the downsides or pitfalls as something that could happen to me. That was the other people. I'd be the successful one. Now, the realities of being a sports agent, very few make it, tons of competition. If you don't start out knowing athletes and can get them to be on your side and and, and a client, it's near impossible to get rolling. Lots of money spent before money comes in. You could spend a lot of your own money on some undrafted free agent that gets invited to training camp, never makes a roster, and doesn't sign a big contract. No payday for you. To drill down to the point, sports agent has been the big dream career of many, but it ain't easy. Not trying to dissuade anyone, just pointing out the reality. Okay, that wasn't the hot take part, that was just our framework. Get ready, here comes the warmish take. I think there's a shift. I think we're seeing more and more interest in player marketing rather than player agency. And today's guest, J.B. Greer, director of player marketing for baseball at Octagon, is one prime example of this dream sports career. I'll let J.B. tell you about all the benefits and why he loves his job, but surface level, you're still rubbing elbows with incredible players. You get to be super creative, coming up with partnerships, marketing activations, player branding. You're part of a bigger team. At Octagon, there are multiple agents, marketers, financial advisors, and coordinators on the baseball squad working in conjunction with one another. So you're not trying to go it alone and forge his own agency. And I'm guessing you still get pretty good tickets to the game. Bottom line, if I were starting out again, starting my career over again, I think this is the way I'd go. Because it's that balance of business savvy, but also creativity and being able to interact and feel like you're really in the sports industry, get a little bit of that that glory of, of being in sports and having those kind of connections. I mean, I think it's, Definitely something you and the audience should consider. So let's hear about it today from JB Greer. Hey, JB, what's happening? Brian, nice to meet you. Yeah, it's super cool to talk to you. I've been excited all week knowing that we were going to have this conversation because as we were talking beforehand, there's so much interest right now in the athlete marketing side. We have a lot of people in our audience who are really intrigued by it. So thanks a lot for jumping on. Absolutely. So let's start off with some big picture talk. We have a lot of people 
that come to me or come to our site and say, hey, I want to work in sports marketing. It's kind of sexy. It's kind of interesting. It's creative. We also have much fewer people who come and say, I want to work in sales. But that line's pretty blurry, isn't it? For somebody that's in it like you are, does one really exist without the other? Don't the two kind of go hand in hand? And would you be as talented as a marketer if you didn't have some background on the sales side as well? Yeah, a couple, couple ways to answer that. But I think that my role specifically was designed to be a sales job. And I think the roles of sports agents in general and agencies have kind of evolved from transactionary, you know, A plus B equals C, what can you do for me? What can you bring to me to way more of, if I give you a fee, you know, how can you help me build my brand? And, and those are somewhat cliche terms now, but I think brand building and and marketing in general as a word is very much a blanket term that covers a lot of different things. So I think that for me and my job, I wouldn't have my job. My job wouldn't exist if I wasn't generating revenue. So I think that's very, very important. And, and that's ultimately how we can grow our business is the more revenue we bring in, the more we can scale and, and the bigger we can build this out. But there is no marketing position here. There's no servicing. There's no you know, any sort of client service, client maintenance without bringing in some form of revenue. So for me in my role, revenue and bringing in revenue and driving sales, that's, that's really where I wanted to be in my career. And that's how my job started. And that's, that's now evolved into a lot more in terms of equipment and servicing and, and social media and brand building. But the bare bones of it is definitely comes down to sales and, you know, willing to, to strap on the boots and, and do some of the dirty work that, that is sales. Close some deals. Yeah. I mean, revenue speaks always. Like if you can bring in revenue to an organization, you're going to have a job. It's just pretty, it's pretty simple math there. You don't need to be a genius to figure that one out. Um, you joined Octagon almost four years ago. What was the most eye-opening moment for you at that point in your career where you started dealing directly with, I mean, famous bath, baseball athletes? Like what was that like when you first kind of got started? Yeah. So I had actually done a lot of research prior to jumping in and, and had a lot of cold calls and networking calls and, and informational interviews with a lot of people. So I felt like I had a good grasp on what the job was and what I was going to be asked to do. When people talk about it being a competitive business, you think about, you know, competing for some of those revenue dollars we were talking about, competing for clients and signing clients. But the, the work doesn't stop when you sign a client because that doesn't prevent other agencies from looking for cracks, looking for holes, staying on top of guys, you know, following up years later. And then now with the advent of social media, everybody in the world has direct access to your players and your clients, including your competitors. So yeah. it's it's definitely tricky. It's And it's competitive in a lot more ways than just trying to sign clients. It, it remains competitive much long after that. And everybody's looking for that competitive advantage. So, but yeah. It, That's it crazy. You, you always have to be delivering. So, yeah. Yeah. You yeah. always have to be delivering then. Like you can't rest on any laurels. Like you finish one project and it's like, What's next? So I would be constantly in a state of fear. Yeah. And thankfully, I'm, I'm more on the marketing side. So my, you know, but my success depends on our roster and our talent roster. So I obviously want to have the best talent possible and, and represent the best talent in the world and help build them to be the best. But at the end of the day, my direct income doesn't depend on signing and, and getting clients. So I'm, I'm grateful for that at the moment. But yeah, it's 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 competitive in, in every way. So it's, it never stops. And it's definitely a, what have you done for me lately business? And that's where the marketing piece of it is really important because you can only do a contract so many times, you know, if you sign a multi-year deal, that contract's done and then becomes, 
you know, how can you service that player and, and marketing the blanket term marketing is a big piece of that in terms of charity work and endorsements and social media and, and PR and brand building. So that's, that's where a lot of the real work begins. And that's, that's where I live is, is in that world. That's gotta be crazy. Making sure everybody on your roster gets that kind of marketing attention as well. We'll get into that in a little bit. Cause there's, there's definitely some more questions I want to, I want to dig into there. Cause I think that's really interesting. What do you remember most about like your first big successful marketing project? I remember the first show I ever produced. I remember, you know, certain things that those major points in your career, I would imagine one of your first campaigns or first marketing endeavors with Octagon probably sticks out in your memory. What do you remember most about that? Yeah. So I, a little bit of a story. So I joined Octagon in 2017 and in May of 2018, Glaber Torres made his MLB debut. So um, he's pretty good. When you come into an organization and you're you're given the shortstop of the New York Yankees, it's, yeah. it's, it's a pretty unbelievable opportunity. So for me, that was the biggest, you know, stepping stone, you know, like taking things from transactionary, you know, paid for Instagram posts, chasing deals, having sales calls. Once he made that jump and, and he's in the market like New York, which markets are very, very important in baseball, which is very regional game. So having a guy in New York, having a young guy. Um, he came up as a shortstop on a team that was already competitive and he'd been the number one prospect for a long time and was involved in the Araldus Chapman trade. So the buildup for his debut and then, and then being there with him from day one, from his debut to now four years later, um, three years later, you know, that's really been kind of what I look back on. Like the, the most fun ride is, is being along for him literally from day one and before day one to now. And so uh, to get even more specific, you know, we've done a handful of national deals for him now, which in baseball is rare and, and really something we're very proud of. But I think that he he's had a long-term deal with BioSteel sports, which now has Luka Doncic and Patrick Mahomes and, and extended into a lot of top level athletes. But um, at the time Glaber was their first U S based baseball player, their first Latin athlete that they work with their first U S based MLB client that they work with. So, Negotiating that deal, we've now extended it to include equity and, and really put a lot of time and effort and energy into that deal. But that was one that, that came about in his rookie campaign, um, really one that, that I was proud of, that he enjoys, and we've extended it. So obviously it was successful to an extent and um, you know, ex- excited that it's still in play. Having the Yankees shortstop, I mean, having Glaber, a young player, exciting player, it's got to be, I mean, you could call it a crown jewel, but you have to think about everybody. You don't get to just focus on one. Exactly. Um, but but that's impressive. Uh, that's uh, the, what is that process like when you sign on a new client? Whether it's any of your new new clients, future clients, whatever is going on. Like, what's that first process like when hey, we sign this new player? Do you spend a lot of time just kind of getting to know them? Like, because I would think, like, from marketing perspective, you have to kind of get to know their personality too, right? Totally. It's it's all about listening and. A lot of people will come in with a long form sheet, which we have one of those as well. You know, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite product? But at the end of the day, it comes down to what's authentic to that person. Like what's their voice? What's their interest? And I think my involvement in recruiting players and then bringing players on, you know, into the Octagon family, my involvement kind of depends on that player's appetite for marketing. You know, if, if marketing's not as important and they're focused on the game and they're not interested in putting in the time and effort to build their brand and do the interviews and and invest in their social, then there's not going to be a lot for me there. They're not going to be interested in what I have to say. It's going to be on deaf ears. So for for the clients that we have, and especially those that we're recruiting and onboarding that 
are asking about marketing and are interested in growing their brand. And Hey, we saw that you did this, you know, that's where I come in. And, and that's amazing for me because as a salesperson and as a marketer, it's, it's so much more fun when you're working with a player that's engaged and cares and, and wants to post and wants to work with more brands. So, um, for me, yeah, the, the, how involved I am depends kind of on the appetite of the player, but then from an education piece, you know, bringing that player on, it's, it's a lot of listening and just finding out who they are and what makes them tick and what's important for you. You know, what are your, your sort of brand pillars that, that are important to you? Is it family? Is it your culture? Is it your food? Is it music? Is it dancing? Like, and, and how can we bring those out of you and, and show the public that this is a part of your brand? Once we get that done, then we can turn the key and turn that into dollar signs and authentic partnerships. And, and that's really what everybody's chasing. But if nobody knows that's who you are and what you care about, then it's really hard to make that jump and make that transaction. So I think that listening to a guy and learning about a guy and, and for me, baseball guy, but guy, girl, whoever it is, athlete that we have, you know, it's really important to listen and, and find out who they are authentically. What's it like with the younger players? So maybe you have somebody, I mean, the younger players, they've grown up with social. They're a lot more used to some of the influence they may have on social and their brand. They're much more brand aware, I would imagine. Um, but maybe they don't have as much of a brand yet. Not everybody's Glaber, who's a top ranking prank, uh, prospect coming right out of the gate that has as much popularity as he did. Is that a totally different approach to starting to build from, from scratch or from small? Yeah, again, a couple ways we can we can go with this one, but I think there's a challenge with that. I, I was just talking about this earlier today, but there's a challenge with the younger players who grow up with social media because that's their form of communication with their friends, whether it's talking to their buddies, talking to girls, talking to their family. You know, they, they've been communicating in Instagram DMs and sending posts back and forth, they're Snapchatting, and to then have to, to reintroduce those platforms as marketing tools and as your, your public-facing brand it's difficult because you have to give up some of the, the personality that you've used and in this medium that you've used since you were 14, 15 years old, communicating with your buddies now becomes yeah. your, your billboard. It's, it's different and for the older players who didn't grow up with social media. They care much less, you know, just throw anything yeah. on there. It's much less, you know, sentimental or valuable to them from a personal level. So there is, there is a piece of that, again, going back to education with the younger guys who've grown up talking to their friends on Instagram and, you know, mm -hmm. sharing anything and everything to kind of hone that in to be more of, of public facing and more of a brand. And so that that's one piece of it. And then the other piece, though, is, you know, just finding out again, educating, who are you? What do you like? What do you want to do? And if they don't know, then you can't force it on them. Because right. at the end of the day, again, every, I've said it twice, I'll probably say it 10 more times, everybody's chasing authenticity and Yep. and what's real and, and you can see through that and today's consumers are more educated and everybody can see this so i think that for us it's you know just finding what makes them tick and if a guy doesn't know then he doesn't know let's introduce him and, and take him places and as he learns and figure out his, figures out his life we can build on that later but as of right now we just have to meet them where they are and what are you doing who are you spending time with how are you having fun and whatever it is we have to meet them there and you know, hopefully yeah. we can bring that out of them and, and make it public facing. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. Uh, so you kind of look at marketing and you almost think of it, at least I do, as, as more of an art form than a science, right? I mean, there's got to be some feel that comes into it of how a player matches with a sponsor and really how that relationship and, and partnership can build. Is that part of the fun of it is to really sit back and figure out 
where those creative matches come into play as you go through the process of learning the player and then seeing where opportunities are? Yeah, that's that's the most fun. And as a salesperson, though, that's the easiest way to sell. And that's if, if you're the owner of a company or if you work for a brand or a product, if I tell you I represent Brian Clapp and his favorite toothpaste is Crest and you work for Crest, that's music to your ears. You know, you're going to be a lot more receptive to that versus, hi, I'm JB Greer and I'm selling 50 major league baseball players, you know, take your pick. It's, it's a different conversation, you know? So I think yeah. when I'm armed with that information of like what a guy's favorite brand is, or if I have screenshots, Hey, look how many guys, this guy, look how many times this guy's posted about Chipotle in his minor league. Yeah. And I can screenshot that a hundred times and say, look at this, like, look how much, look how it's authentic. It's it right back brand. to authenticity. Yeah, exactly. So just as a salesperson, it, it changes the conversation and, you know, it's it's definitely an art form. It's not a science. And if you try to put a, a, a round circle in a square hole or vice versa, you know, it's it's really difficult if you're trying to sell something or, or sell a person that's not interested. And, and that's really how we start a lot of our brand conversations is, hey, before we take this any further, could you send some product to the guys? And it, it's probably not what the brand wants to hear a lot of times. But for us, I'm not going to shove a deal or a brand down a player's throat if they don't if they haven't tried the product or like the product. So yeah. when I'm going through that sales process and when I'm having these conversations with brands, that's usually the first action item is, Hey, let's get some product out to them ASAP and, uh, or let's get some to our office so we could share with our guys. And that's, um, that's what comes first is just making sure that they're using it and they like it. Yeah. It's so important. So there's 28 people. I was looking at the Octagon baseball page earlier. There's 28 people on the baseball side of, of Octagon and it really runs the gamut. It's interesting to look through how the team is broken down. There are agents, there are tax accountants, there are marketers like yourself, client services, financial planners. It keeps going. How important is that? You're talking about a competitive world. How important is it to be able to come to a player with a full service team? Like, is that really, does that really change the dialogue a lot? It's not just a one piece here and you have to go somewhere else to get all the other things. Like you guys come with all of it right there. Yeah. And that's, you hit the nail with, with full service agency and that's what we bring to the table. So I think that for us, going back to, to what we talked about earlier is that a lot of it comes out of competitive advantages, right? And as a sports agency, we're competing with all the other top sports agencies in the world. And, and you can Google the, the Forbes list or whoever else, but you know everybody's looking for an advantage. And I think that for us, if we can offer something that another agency can't, then that's an advantage. So that's why we expand into tax. That's why we, we have finance people and multiple client service people, multiple marketing, multiple office managers. So it gives us a competitive advantage. And, and the more people we have, the more resources we have available to our clients. So it's, um, it's, that's what makes our team stronger. And, and also what makes, what makes our team unique and Octagon baseball unique specifically is baseball is a very international sport. And if you look at our roster, we have a lot of Latin American players. So, to, to manage those players, we have agents from Dominican Republic. We have agents that are from Venezuela. We have agents that are living right now in Korea and Japan. So we're, we're pretty all over the place, which is a challenge sometimes communicating and, and staying on the same page as, as the marketing person servicing these different in, in different time zones and representing different players. It's, there was an education piece for me to learn what are the Dominican guys like and how do they operate and, and our Venezuelan guys, you know, learning like, hey, these guys send messages on Snapchat or, or WhatsApp and these guys communicate more via phone calls or, hey, this guy might be in the country, so you got to call him on FaceTime audio. But 
at the end of the day, we're all pulling on the same end of the rope. So we're, we're all trying to get to the same place. That's cool. You and I were talking before we got started in the interview, and I, I know um, you you specialize more in the active players, but looking through your team, your actual roster of of clients that are represented, it was amazing just to see. It's like everything from Mike Piazza and Wade Boggs and Randy Johnson to Glaber to Bobby Wood Jr. to like some of the, the biggest, Wilson Contreras, like some of the biggest stars in the game today, coaches active. I mean, you guys have the run of the gamut. Like it's got to be, and I, and I know like, you're dealing more with the current players, but it's it's got to be so fun to just look at that roster and say, yeah, we're 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 cornering a pretty interesting market here. Yeah, and what's crazy, so so our managing director is my direct report, Alan Nero. He's been in the business. He's one of the first baseball agents to do it back in the '80s, and he, he's was Wade Boggs's agent through the '80s and the '90s, and that's how we've kept some of these clients, Mike Piazza, Randy Johnson. So we've kept those clients for 30, 40 years, which obviously is a testament hopefully to our work but then also we had bobby witt senior as a client bobby witt senior okay. is, now, is now an agent for octagon long before his son bobby witt jr became came into the world top at prospect. All, nonetheless the <laughs> top prospect and, and a future superstar so but yeah it, it just kind of goes to show you know, everybody says every agency says they're a family and they're a team and everything else but you know we have people that have been together for a really long time so i can't yeah, it's a credit to the relationship but, Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's important. A big part of building a player's brand, one of those key levers you guys get to pull are these appearances, these public appearances. But that wasn't really happening last year. How did you guys pivot and innovate and come up with new ways to adapt to what was a pretty crazy year? Yeah, I think a, not rocket science. I mean, any of us who were on our phones and, and scrolling social media kind of saw the adaptation of, of things going virtual and people embracing virtual and we embrace Zoom as a, as a business community. And, and the same thing happened with our players, you know, but I think that for us, you know, we, I launched personally, we helped launch three Twitch channels, which I oh, we, that's cool. thought we would do, but learning about the graphics, <laughs> learning about the graphics and the overlays and, you know, guys wanting specific controllers and specific graphics. And can you make this logo? Can you put this overlay on this camera hole? Like, you know, that learning about that, you know, that's, that's the kind of stuff that, that we transition to. And a lot of that stuff doesn't <clears throat> directly return dollars and cents to go back to the transactional part of the conversation. But yeah. at the end of the day, you, we have to be the best for our clients. And if our clients are sitting at home playing video games, I want to put them in a position to be the most marketed and the most successful video gamer that there is. If they're working out at home, you know, let's showcase your workouts at home. So again, it kind of comes down to meeting guys where they are. And for us, it, they were in a lot of different places in quarantine, but at the same time, you know, we, we had to learn on the fly and just capitalize on what our guys were doing and how do we turn that into content and how do we just keep the ball rolling on building these guys brands just because they're not playing baseball. You know, how else can we, showcase this and another one i don't know if you saw wilson Contreras and william Contreras, the brothers mm -hmm. uh, super viral video they were hitting like a, a nerf gun like baseballs in their front yard it went super viral like went everywhere but little stuff like that you know what are you guys doing how can we help you amplify it and yeah getting that video out there sending it to publications you know it, it made it in the national mlb commercial when the guys came back on field so all that stuff you know it's there's nothing really happens by accident these days. You know, if, if something's out there, there's, there's a lot of times a design behind it. So we're trying to just amplify what our guys are doing and, and meeting them where they are. 
I love that behind the scenes stuff. I love that authentic, just being guys kind of stuff. You know, it's just always a good way to see the athletes. Does baseball need even more of that? Because I mean, baseball in certain ways could be considered struggling from a, from a, you know, a, a audience standpoint, a youth standpoint, people tuning into long games. Um, does baseball need more of that to make the athletes into these really interesting people? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of reasons why I, I feel like, you know, we could probably go another in, entire episode on why baseball players are not, you know, at, at the same marketability as, as football and basketball players, but there's so many innate things in, in the game of baseball that are holding these guys back. And it's, it's playing every day. It's the unwritten rules. It's the minor league system, the arbitration system. You know, it's, it's not a culture in which you are, easily taught and can easily market yourself and express yourself. And it's really hard, especially to do it when you go over three or you hit an over 20 slump, you know, you can't be dancing in the clubhouse and doing TikToks on the field. You know, it's, it's a lot harder when you're going through that. And also when you're in double a or triple a and, and you're trying to make the big leagues, it's hard to, it's really, really hard to stand up in front of your teammates and be the guy that's, making TikToks or hold on guys, let me get this on video. And so it's, there's a ton of different reasons. We can go a lot of different ways, but I think that it's, uh, it's definitely a challenge. Do you think the game needs to change? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think if, if you talk to anybody, they're slowly starting to admit it, how and how and why it needs to change and, and what changes they make, I think will be interesting. But if there's not action on the field, you're going to lose people's eyeballs, you know, and it's really hard to sit on the couch for three hours and watch a baseball game without a second screen in your hand. And to yep. listen to two, 99% of, of broadcast booths are two older white men talking mm-hmm. to each other for three hours and you're sitting on the couch. And if there's not balls in play, you're watching strikeouts and walks and home runs. And there's not a lot that's keeping your attention in a world in which attention spans are getting shorter and shorter. So Something needs to happen to create more action on the field, and I, I also think that broadcast can do a better job of of making the the actual broadcast itself more engaging. You know, like there's videos on YouTube and TikTok that have better camera angles than a, a broadcast booth that's been doing it the same way for the last thirty years. So, whether that's catcher cams or pitcher cams or getting guys mic'd up more, you, you're starting to see it slowly. But you know, there's there's so much that you could do in a broadcast that could make it a more engaging three hours of your time. I could not agree more. I mean, when I was the news director at Fox Sports Northwest, we had the Mariners deal. We did all the, their games and it did feel like you just wanted to say like, guys, can we try a new camera angle? Can we do something kind of fun? Yeah. Can we put a little spice in the booth? Like, can we get something going here? Because it can be a, a really difficult thing to, to just see it in a new set of eyes. And uh, you always upset that I remember when wildcard games started first becoming a thing and the traditionalists were ready to like burn the house down. Like they were so upset that there was wildcard games and it just seems like, yeah, it, there's a, there's a coming of age that needs to happen. There just needs to be a new, a new leaf turned over in the game. But one of the most interesting things happening in sports marketing world globally now is something as a 45 year old guy, I've had to read and try to understand about a hundred times the NFT world. Um, what do you think? Is it, is this like for real to stay opportunity or is this going to be another kind of passing fad? I, I am not the person to, to, kind of <laughs> read, the, to read the future and, and tell you what it's going to look like. But at the end of the day, if anybody tries to say 
what it's going to be in five years or 10 years, they're just guessing, you know, and, and yeah. if anyone says that, no one knows what this marketplace will look like. And some people are going to guess correctly and, and some people aren't. But at the end of the day, I think that even we've seen now athletes doing NFTs <clears throat> and trying to go out on their own and do NFTs. But I think that for us and, and even for our roster, you know, we've been very particular and we didn't just want to do it just to do it. So we we've talked to some of the industry leaders like Tops and, you know, mm-hmm. Octagon had a, a very informational session with with Dapper Labs, you know, and, and just trying yeah. to learn. I think everybody's trying to learn. I think there was a huge gold rush in the beginning and it was kind of like, you know, very eye opening and it's been driving conversation for months. And so now we're all trying to learn and figure out, you know, if we're going to dive into NFTs, how you know, what route is going to be the most sustainable for us? That's been my approach, at least with our baseball roster. So I think that it's, we're still learning. We're still trying to figure it out. And and it's not really in our business, maybe baseball as a whole to just rush into something and, and do it just to do it. So I think yeah. that, you know, very, very aware of it. We're, we're studying it every day and I read every article that comes out, but at the end of the day, it's, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it right. You know, we don't just want to throw something up and have it sell for a thousand dollars and, what you're seeing now is a lot of NFTs are having to be supplemented by autographs and experiences and mm-hmm. game jerseys. And you get to a point yeah. where you're like, what's the value of this experience versus the NFT? You know, if you have right. to throw in all the extra stuff, then is the NFT even worth anything? So we're figuring it out. I mean, I, I think it's exciting. I'm, I'm a fan of it. And if that's the future, I, we're definitely going to be involved in it, but it's, um, it's an unknown world for sure. It really is. Like I do the same thing. I read every article on it and I'm like, every time I think I get a little bit smarter and I kind of think through it strategically. But then at the end of the day, I'm like, I have, I have baseball cards all over the place in my house. It's like, I like, I like the tangible, but nonetheless, uh, going on my own rant here. Um, when you think about marketing, it feels like things have changed a lot in the last three to four years. You've got players owning their own brands, becoming their own content machines. You've got NFTs, you've got uh, crypto and different investings and all these different things that players are doing and, and their activity levels within it. When you think about marketing as a whole, what opportunity, I mean, from virtual or anything like, I mean, uh, you know, gamification, anything, like are there certain things that really pique your interest right now that you see as something without asking you to tell the future, but that really piques your interest as an opportunity for, for your athletes? Yeah. I mean, I, I think two things really for me personally, you know, number one is there's a new segment of brands and a new sector of the marketplace fueled by the rise of influencer marketing, which has been five to 10 years coming, you know, that that's been something that's, that's grown crazily over the last four or five years, but the brands that are capitalizing on B2C, internet transactions, um, you know, you're seeing those brands pop up and they're going from these internet B2C digital brands to having brick and mortar to then growing and, and getting acquired brands like Warby Parker and brands like Away Luggage, you know, who start as an internet kind of phenomenon and then they build themselves into these huge legitimate brands. So I think that for us, it's really just trying to be on top of those trends and trying to identify those brands early. And ultimately, to your to your earlier point, match them with our clients and get them in yeah. on the ground floor of things and build up together. And then you kind of partner that. The second way I was going to answer that is is on top of that is athletes and equity. You know, that's that's the big trend. And you're seeing that hardly any deal gets done with a top 100 athlete without there being some form of ownership or equity. And so that's a huge trend and that's going to keep growing. But I think those two things go hand in hand. You know, it, it's a lot harder yeah. to get equity from an established company, it's a lot easier to get equity in a brand that's on the ground floor. So how do you yep. identify those brands? How can you tell, you know, what their longevity is and, and 
their sticking power. And then also you, you know, you, you want to, you can't take risks, but at the same time, you know, they got to be calculated risks. So I think that if you do partner with an emerging brand and you give them the shortstop of the New York Yankees, you have Mm -hmm. to balance what's the risk and the return on that and, and really make, make educated moves and, and not just give away the license of the shortstop of the New York Yankees or quarterback of the Cowboys or, you know, insert any athlete there. Once you give away their license and their, and their name, image, and likeness, then, you know, you, you really want to get your value in return. So there is a risk element when you take on equity, but it's making sure that it's calculated risk. It's such an interesting dynamic and it's such a cool time. I think seeing the athletes themselves use their voice now become more human and involved and building their own brands Mm -hmm. and, you know, supplementing their own social channels. And I just think it's exciting. I mean, I think it's kind of cool for a guy that came up in the media who felt like the only time I could talk to athletes is when I had them scheduled for an interview where we do a sit down to now be able to have more access and to be able to see them in a way where they're not just reading about the local car dealership, like they're doing more and they're more engaged with the, and authentic with the products. I think is, it's pretty exciting time to, I would imagine, be an athlete marketing. Amazing conversation. We're going to finish up with this because I want to be respectful of your time as well. As I, alluded to, as I alluded to earlier, a lot of people in our audience want to go into marketing and the athlete marketing kind of world that you're in. As you look back and if you think of somebody on, in our audience listening and thinking, man, that's, his job sounds awesome, his dream job, what kind of advice would you give for certain skills that the young people should look into or certain apt- uh, traits they should develop or, or routines or approaches or anything of that nature that you would think of as, as kind of core to kind of growing in what this growing industry is? Yeah, I think that for me personally, I recognized that I wanted to be in a, in a sales position and in a revenue generating position because when I was younger and, and starting my career, looking at the C-level executives across the sports business, across different teams, different agencies, a lot of those team presidents and CROs and CEOs came from sales backgrounds. And yep. and I don't, I don't have the data, maybe Brian, you guys have that, but I, I learned pretty quickly, unless I start generating revenue and getting some sales numbers behind my name, there's going to be a ceiling as to where I go in my career. So that was really important for me was to get that sales experience, get that sales baseline for me to build off of and, and really build my career. And and even now, I, I think that to to kind of piggyback on, on my own point that when we're looking for people or if you're looking to break in to the industry, you need to prove your value and prove your worth before you get in the door. You know, everyone can say they're the hardest worker in the room. Everybody can say that they love sports and they're passionate about the business and and X, Y, Z. But if you can show tangible, quantifiable numbers or or results to your name, like this is what I've done in the past. This is how Mm -hmm. many I've sold. This is how many calls I've had to make over the last three years. This is, you know, if you can show those results in advance, then, it opens up the door, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's work. If you want to get into athlete marketing, maybe it's helping the star player on your school's basketball team. Maybe it's helping the athletic department. Maybe it's, there are ways to work in athlete marketing without having my job or a similar job, you know, and that's how you, you build experience and that's how you prove value before you get into, to this chair, you know? So I think the sales piece was very, very important to me. I think that's specific to me, but now, you know, looking to, to, grow our, our vertical and our business and, and bring people on, you know, you want people that can show you what they've done and, and show it with numbers and not just with rhetoric. 
Such great advice. JB, awesome stuff. Thank you so much for joining me today. I know that the audience is going to eat this up because of such great advice you shared in there and some cool stories as well. So thanks so much for coming on. For sure, Brian. Thank you. I suggest if your interest is starting to be peaked a little bit and you're thinking like, wow, that was pretty cool. I could see myself really leaning into this side of the industry, into this player marketing side. I suggest you follow JB on Twitter. It's amazing when you kind of see what his life is like right now. I mean, you're, he's so invested in his players. He knows what's happening with everything going on with them. He's really helping share and grow their, their personal profiles. JB and I talked for a long time off camera as well and just started to discuss some of like the growth patterns for baseball and what needs to happen to help some of these younger stars start to bloom earlier. I mean, he's so passionate about his sport, and I think that comes through in this interview and really should get some of you jazzed up about the idea of working in player marketing, which I totally get because I, every time I listen to this interview, I'm like, yeah, I think if I was starting again, that's the path I'd take. Thanks for listening, everybody. Great to have you here. Please rate, review, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. It always helps us. Every little bit helps us build and grow and get new incredible guests and bring them to you each week. So thank you for being a part of our community. I'll talk to you all next week. 